Welcome back to the Life Ed Conversations, how to talk to your kids about podcast series. This is the last in our four-part series on how to talk to your kids about sexual health. In this podcast, Dr Tess Opie from In Your Skin will hold a panel discussion with our sexual health experts, Vanessa Hamilton, Anne Atchison and Dr Jackie Hendricks on how to talk to your kids about sexual health in an age-appropriate way. Over to you, Tess. Thanks, Gildy. Welcome back, Vanessa, Anne and Jackie. Each of us have had a chance to think about our top three tips for parents or caregivers when it comes to supporting relationships and sexuality education in the home. Vanessa, we started this series with you, so I thought I might hand back to you so you can explore and discuss with us your tips. Uh, My first one is uh, my take-home message to parents is ask yourself this question. Who do you want to be the main provider of this information to your child regarding every topic related to sex, sexuality, consent and respect for relationships? Who do you want that person to be to deliver that content to them? Hopefully you say it's you because if it's not you, it is society. It is um, pornography, advertising, popular culture, TikTok, all of the, the things, uh, and they're getting that and that you win, they need an alternative version, they need facts from school and they need values and facts from home as well. So ask yourself that question. Number two, be the askable and tellable parent they need you to be. Don't avoid it for, for fear of getting it wrong or saying the wrong thing. Saying nothing is worse. Educate yourself a bit and don't punish the child if they tell you something. Don't take their device off them, etc. And that seems to be a recurring theme in today's conversation, you know, about being the parent who says, you can ask me. I might not have all the answers, but I can help you find, find them out. Absolutely. And the benefits far outweigh your discomfort. Research tells us time and time again, children's sexual health, well-being and safety is better and they have better uh, relationships and more positive and joyful experiences in life when they have good information from you. And we really are in a crisis in our situation where parents are not talking enough. Jackie can give you some stats she got from her research about, well, I'll let Jackie tell you that about parents not talking enough, even though they feel comfortable. Um, uh, be positive, take away the fear and danger approach. Jackie, do yeah, you so want to tell us? Our... Yeah, great. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Jumped in. Um, yeah, so sorry. In our survey, we actually had a separate item asking parents how comfortable they felt about talking about RSE and related topics with their children. Um, and overwhelmingly, the majority felt in- incredibly comfortable to have these conversations. But then we, we had a follow-up question asking them, how often did you actually speak about these topics with your child in the last year? Very, uh, very few parents actually had engaged in a conversation. So, um, you know, if you do feel comfortable, we really encourage you to really amp up the conversations and, and have them um, as much as possible. And also you could probably... So in- and please. I was going to jump in as well because um, that's really reflected in what we see with young people in the classroom. If we go to speak to parents, they'll say, oh, yes, my kids can come and talk to me. They know they can come and talk to me. I'm very open. I'm happy to talk about all of this stuff. And then in the classroom, we send home homework and I say, who's going to show their, their grown-ups at home their homework? The majority of kids are really reluctant they're saying, oh, I don't think I'm allowed to. I don't think I can talk about this. I'm not going to show the homework. It's too embarrassing. So there's a big disconnect with what parents and carers think they're saying and what the young people are receiving. Yeah. I'm just going to jump in here quickly and say sometimes parents sort of say, well, look, we don't have this conversation at home because we know the school already runs a really fabulous mm-hmm. program, so we probably don't need to do much more. The school's doing, you know, the important job for us. 
what we often mention at Parent Information Evenings is, okay, no matter how fabulous sex-positive evidence-based your school-based program is for your child or young person, actually the most important mitigating factor when it comes to health and safety risks is parenting style. So no matter how great that program is, the conversations you're having at home are way more important. Yeah, it doesn't get them off the hook. (laughs) You're the support network at home. That's who, when they really get into trouble and when they've got really pointy questions, you want them to come home and ask you. And if you've always made them feel like it's a topic that was off limits and a topic that you're embarrassed about, where are they going to go? And and not that many schools are doing that very top, amazing, <laughs> wonderful, perfect. Uh, let's face it, it's not they try their best, but they don't have the support, the time, the training, the skills in this country. Whereas other countries that do that, you could say it. But yeah, that's yeah, like someone said, it's not they can't get off the hook because it's not happening. So Anne, with all of your years of experience, and I know that we've sort of touched on this, but concisely, what would your top three tips for parents and caregivers be? Well, I did get a chance to write them down. You gave me opportunity. And my first one, everyone always says is just start early, just as, as early as you can. And parents are probably doing this without realising. Um, we are communicating information about touch and what safety is and what we expect in terms of our body and privacy and things like that. Um, so just start as early as possible. Um, find opportunities, we've, we've mentioned uh, already and there's lots lots of opportunities in the world to be able to talk about sex and relationships and body and safety and privacy and all those sort of things. Um, and my last point was do some self-reflection and, and figure out what values you hold and what you want your young people to know. Having a program at school, as you said, does not replace the conversations about values that are coming from home. Uh, it's, it, it's providing opportunity. So great, they're running a session about babies at school this is what I want to tell you about relationships and what I expect for you or what I want for you or what I wish for you. Um, so have, have a bit of a think about what you're going to say personally and privately to a young person that we don't say in class because it's personal and private. Jackie or Vanessa, where can parents access some support around, I guess, assessing their own values in this space and, and becoming a bit more comfortable with discussing matters of sexuality or relationships at home? Jackie, do you want to answer first? Oh, I'm going to give you an answer that sounds very academic-y. <laughs> um, I think you just have to spend a little bit of time thinking about it. Actually just reflect on what was my education like for me growing up? Did it feel comfortable to talk about this at home? Um, why, why not? Where did I get information? Was it accurate? Did it actually prepare me for the relationships that were going to then eventuate later on in my life? Um, and having a little think about perhaps your 10-year-old your self, what you wish you had had, what, was, what wraparound support would you have really appreciated? Um, and trying to think about what, what's most important for you and trying to then provide that for your young people. And there's some actual, actually some great resources out there. Sexual Health Victoria, just go onto their website. There's lots of information for parents. Their podcast doing it is fantastic. I've got a link library on my website of all sorts of Australian resources for parents to get information. Uh, and some parents have never said the word vagina out loud to any, another adult. So, you know, get onto those websites, have a bit of a read, talk it out with another adult before you have those conversations. Um, there's plenty there. There's books that Australians have written um, for parents. 
Um, there's no reason for a parent to say, I don't know where to look, you know, start with Sexual Health Victoria or my website or um, the Western Australian, Jackie, what's that website called? Yeah, so there's a great resource called Talk Soon, Talk Often, and you can Google that one and you'll find it easily online. And it's a fabulous resource. It's a how-to guide for parents just to have lots of informal conversations from birth all the way through to early adulthood. Fabulous. Okay, Jackie. How about your top three tips for our parents, our carers, our caregivers at home? I think if I'm focusing on the adolescent, so if you, you are a parent of an adolescent and you're thinking, oh, I really have dropped the ball a little bit, this has not been a topic that I've mentioned an awful lot, it, it's absolutely not too late to start um, start having conversations now. Uh, again, it can be sort of a, a bit of a formal chat with your young people, but it, or it's also just mentioning a few things um, when you hear the radio or you see something on television. Um, try not to hold off and only talk about this topic because you're responding to an event, um, because that's just going to come across as if you're lecturing your child. Um, so, you know, if you've, if you've really not done it, please get started now in, in whatever way you can. Um, some of us might find that even if we're really comfortable and open in having these conversations with our child, our child's just not a person who feels really comfortable to talk about this with their parent. Um, so it's really making sure there's lots of other wraparound supports for your young people as well. Perhaps you've got a very strong relationship with family, friends. Um, there might be really good older siblings that your young person can go to. Make sure that they know about some really reputable websites. You've given them some great books and magazines so that they're getting some really appropriate information from lots of different sources just in case they don't feel super confident in having conversations um, with you as the adult. And my last tip is you certainly do not have to be an expert in this space. Um, I myself can get thrown with some questions from time to time and, and that's fine. It's about just owning up and saying, I don't know, let's go research it together. I'll come or maybe I'll come back to you with, an inf um, with some information. It's about showing your young person um, how to access reputable sources of information. And if you stuff up, if you overreact to an event, um, just try and take a deep breath, fess up and come back to your young person and say, look, I feel like I probably overreacted there or I've given you the wrong information and then and try and fix it. Excellent. Was there anything anyone wanted to add? I might just add one. Um, I think that uh, it's, it's assumed among us um, to use inclusive language, but I might just say that explicitly for parents to remember that their children may not be cisgender, their gender may, identity may not match that sex assigned at birth, and they may not be heterosexual. In fact, the, you know, quite a large proportion of the population aren't. So using that inclusive language to be a safe person. So you say to the kids, so does anyone in your class have a partner? not necessarily a boyfriend or a girlfriend. So, um, again, Sexual Health Victoria and myself have done podcasts and things on using inclusive language because everyone's diverse. And just to point that out, some parents, some people for gender identity, for example, some people believe that everyone's gender identity must match their sex assigned at birth. Now, we're all entitled to our own opinion, but we're not entitled to harm other people with our opinion. So the basis for um, talking about this topic with our, our children is respecting every other human's unique version of themselves, including our own. Uh, that was occurring to me as well, Vanessa. And just when I when we're talking about values and values coming from home, um, 
Absolutely. It's really a great conversation to have at home and to say, this is what I think about relationships and this is what happened for me and this is what I would like for you. Um, but remembering young people might not share the values ultimately. Like it's actually as they grow up, they might grow up um, with different ideas about relationships and sex and gender to the ones that are important to you. And that can be a tricky conversation as well. Jackie, I also love the point you made about as a parent or carer, caregiver being proactive rather than reactive because actually that has such a huge capacity to impact on how your young person responds to that information and processes it. And that's not something that I've heard often, sorry, but I think that's a really great point as well. Yeah, and often that's what um, as parents will do. We will wait for an event to happen and we will quickly react and that is really powerful. That suddenly might show to your young person, oh, this is a topic that my parents have got very strong opinions about. Um, I'm not going to then mention what happens at school or what my what issues my friends have gotten into and so you're then um, making yourself less approachable, less a tellable parent. Well, as as colleagues of mine, I'm very curious for your reactions and responses to my top three tips, which I which I had a think about this morning. I thought that was only fair. I've written number one: uh, understand that this is about sexual health and safety. Understand that talking about sex doesn't lead to increases in sexual activity. Understand that these conversations are contributing to your young people building protective strategies. For example, if they fully understand how consent should be practised and the circumstances that compromise consent and if they fully understand the full spectrum of sexually coercive behaviours and they are able to identify these, they're more likely to be safer and less likely to be exposed to an incident of sexual violence, either as someone who engages in that or someone who survives it, perhaps. Number two... Encourage your young person to think about sexual activity as something you share with someone and not take from someone and that I think sounds so simple to us working in this space but I think sometimes that can reframe some things for adults who, who you know don't get to work as intimately as we do with this stuff. And then I've said obvious one, number three, take a sex positive approach. Encourage your young people that if and when they become sexually active to be setting the bar high. They should be aiming for ideal, mutually positive, mutually pleasurable, mutually consenting sexual experiences that are underpinned by an ethics of care, compassion, kindness and empathy. Any responses? Great. I'm clapping. (laughs) I love that that second one particularly. I love um, this idea that sex is something we do with somebody, not to somebody. Um, It's really powerful. It, It should be a mutually beneficial arrangement and interaction we we want everyone to have a great time and the other idea is maybe our young people don't aren't necessarily into having sex or the idea of having romantic relationships so don't also assume that this is something that um, they're currently thinking about or, or wanting to seek out I agree and we're actually um very big on we actually, you know, consider it very important that, you know, we do talk about asexuality, you know, mm. um, as a very valid um, situation for many, many, many people of all ages. And so I think, yeah, we do have to be mindful yep. that we don't expect that, you know, everyone wants to jump into the bedroom as quickly as possible. No, and we know, like, that that's stable. Asexuality has always been at around 1% of the total population and that just doesn't change. Um, but also the data that we've got from 
Australian school students shows us quite clearly that, yes, about half of our year 12 students have had a sexual relationship, but half haven't. So don't necessarily assume that your child has or necessarily wants to pursue one. And, of course, it means so much more than what people think of when they hear the word sex. So mm -hmm. um, adults are also influenced by pornography, et cetera, that really doesn't give us a, a good um, idea of what amazing intimate connected partnerships can be. And just to leave the teenage parents with a bit of a question to think about for themselves, you know, where will their children have their first intimate encounters? At what age? Does that age meet your expectations? And will it be under your roof? <laughs> will you be positive enough to allow your children to have experimenting uh, in a safe place uh, and knowing that you've given them as much information as you can? Because information is just information. It's not permission. Mm. Yeah, and Tessa, all your comments were a reminder of where these conversations need to get to. We are talking about safety. We're talking about sexual safety and sexual health. Um, and it might seem counterintuitive to start that conversation in foundation, <laughs> but you're really setting those building blocks of, hey, we can talk about body parts, we can talk about safety, we can talk about early warning signs, and we can build to those conversations about future sexual relationships or towards the end of secondary school, current sexual relationships as well. Absolutely. Uh, look, I'm mindful of time. And so incredibly grateful for your participation. Vanessa and Jackie, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. We are so incredibly grateful. And, you know, parents, carers and caregivers exposed to this podcast are all the better for it. So thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks so much. My pleasure. And best of luck to all the parents and families out there. And I'm just going to hand back to Gildy, who's going to close the podcast for us today. Oh, thank you very much, Tess. Um, that's You're always amazing and very insightful. I actually was recalling through that interview my mum talking to my older sister about sex and I couldn't wait for her to stop, which I think she was pretty happy with as well. <laughs> and so lucky for me, I had good family values that held me up as an adult. But I do want to ask a question. What happens for the young person that you might know? that might not have that good role model at home to help them out or they've come from a trauma-informed, uh, a trauma environment and they're now in the care of a guardian or a carer. Um, what's some extra steps that someone might have to take to help a child or a young adult in that situation? Well, this is about that building from building blocks because ideally in prep, grade one and grade two we've talked and all the way through we've talked about their safety network and you know uh children will say but what if someone on your safety network is causing harm to you and that's why they need more than one person on their safety network they need five or i like them to have five at school and five outside of school um children need to know that how to access the person at school that can help them the well-being person that the, um, how can they speak to their teacher and that we really have to embed that so children know that they've got a safe place to speak so I say to people who care for children outside of families to always um, be approachable um, but for the older ones there's some fantastic websites around Western Australian government get the facts um, South Australian government has a um, the New South Wales government has an excellent one called Body Talk I think so making sure they have those sort of resources and books but safe people to talk to. What would others say, Anne? Yeah, I think the idea of trauma-informed teaching has become more and more important. We know there are young people in the classes that we teach 
um, that haven't had good experiences, even in the very young year levels. Um, and we also know that shame and secrecy um, keep people from reporting through their lives. And the I'm not very good with numbers, but the shocking statistic of when sexual abuse happens as opposed to when it's reported, it's, it's decades in between. Um, so we're trying to create opportunities by talking about this stuff openly in a classroom and setting up that the teacher is an actual okay person to talk to about bodies and safety and privacy. Um, it's it's making sure that there is a reporting avenue at school for that to happen as well. So as much as parents and carers might think, oh, we've got this covered at home, having that opportunity at school is going to be vital for some young people. Oh, that's brilliant. So I just really want to wrap up today by thanking Tess Opie from In Your Skin and to our special guests, Anne Hutchinson from Sexual Health Victoria, Dr Jackie Hendricks from Curtin School of Population Health and Vanessa Hamilton from Talking the Talk, Healthy Sexuality Education. And we've got a couple of other people that we need to shout out to. Firstly, we're creating this podcast in the Taboo Podcast Studio. And for those that don't know, Taboo have a goal to end period poverty wherever a menstruator has access to safe and dignified period care. And they have a program called Pad It Forward and it's committed to fighting period poverty here in Australia and overseas, one box of pads or tampons at a time. So jump on their website and give them some support. We'd also like to thank Malcolm Downs from Ways to Work Communication who is going to donate his time to guide us and edit this series. And, of course, a really special thanks to Tess Opie from In Your Skin for being the interviewer today. You did a great job. And all of our special guests and Tess's information will be up on the podcast. You'll see the links to their websites and links to further resources, including to Life Ed's Talk About It program. So until next time, Natanya and thank you. This podcast was brought to you by LifeEd SA and created on the land of the Ghana people. We would like to pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend that respect to all First Nations people that may be listening today. Mm-hmm.